All right, if you have your Bibles, would you uh, open with me to Daniel chapter 9? That's Daniel chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. Says now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the uh, for the holy mountain uh, of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, um, the man Gabriel who I had seen in a vision at the beginning, uh, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth uh, to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, uh, the command went out, and I have, co- I have come uh, to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sin, and to make reconciliation uh, for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint uh, the most holy. Now, therefore, uh, now, therefore, an understanding, know, therefore, uh, an understanding that from the beginning, uh, going forth out uh, <laughs> Sorry, verse 25. That from the beginning, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seventy. So there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome uh, times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be uh, with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he uh, shall confirm a covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until... Uh, even until the uh, consummation, which is determined, uh, is poured out on on uh, the desolate. Let's pray. Definitely, Father, uh, there's never been uh, a time in my life, Lord, where I can see your hand at work, and, and I know that you have a plan, Lord, and I know uh, that your plan is good, Lord. And I just ask that as we go through Daniel today, Lord, that uh, you would just give us boldness to share your plan, your uh, the reason why you came uh, with other people, Lord, that uh, in doing so we can fulfill the, the job that you gave us to do. Give us understanding, just like you gave Daniel, Father, that uh, our time comes to an end. And one day this time will be over. And one day there will be no more time to share. There will be no more time to repent. There will be no more time to, to say sorry for the things uh, that men has done. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, as uh, we go through this, that you would just give us eyes to see your plan and give us eyes to see your opportunities. And I pray above all else, Father, that the good news of the gospel would be on the tip of our tongue to bring hope to the hopeless, uh, to bring salvation uh, to those who don't deserve it, Lord, uh, and, and starting with myself. And so I just I thank you for what you've done, and I thank you that you have a plan and your plan is good. And I, uh, I just thank you, Lord, that uh, you give us your word uh, to guide us. And so we just praise you for today and ask you to just open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen.
God's good, isn't he? So we find ourselves this morning uh, at the beginning of the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. And we're reminded that this came about as a result of, of Daniel being in prayer. Going before the Lord and confessing his sin and the sin of, of his people. And God sent him understanding. In fact, we see Gabriel come and Gabriel says, I, I come for, for one purpose, man. Daniel, I, I came so you could understand. Because, you know, he knows that the, the 70 um, years of captivity is about over. You know, so there's a, a few years left. That he probably came when he's 15. He's probably uh, uh, in his early 80s at this point. In Daniel chapter 9, he's thinking, it's almost over, man. It's almost finished. And, and uh, Jeremiah said, we need to go before the Lord in prayer. And when we seek Him with our whole heart and with our, our whole being, when we go after Him, God says that we'll be, we'll be found by Him and then He'll restore us. And so he's in that attitude of prayer, just wanting to have everything that God has for him. He's wanting to... to be honest in, in, in his approach to God. Have you ever thought about that? Being honest in your approach to God. So important, man. So important. So he kicked it all off with prayer. And an attitude of prayer. Wanting to see God touch, move, and do amazing things. And I think we want to see that. Don't we want to see God do amazing things? Oh yeah. And we want to see... You know, I, I can't wait to hear about uh, some of the amazing things that that God uh, um, has shown uh, Jason and and Daniel in their trip to Africa. But we also got a couple headed to France on Tuesday. So um, France a little dicey. I don't know. You guys notice that? So I might make them more nervous than they ought to be. But uh, I told them. Uh, We'd follow suit with how Daniel started, and we'll look forward to hearing great things from them when they return, but we're going to start it with prayer. So I'm going to have them come on up. Jonathan and Rochelle are going to come up, and we're going to lay hands on them. They're part of a team going to uh, France and uh, going to share the gospel. If you want to come up and lay hands on them, you're welcome to. If you want to stay in your seat, that's cool. However you guys want to do it, but as a body, uh, we want to send... uh, them forward in the power of the Lord, that God would do uh, just amazing things, even though his beard's shorter now. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you so much for, for Jonathan and Rochelle, Lord, for their heart, their desire to follow you in obedience, God, as you called, they have heard the call and answered And Lord, as they go forward, God, there's nothing to fear because they are in your hands. God, you have a purpose and a plan. And so we pray as we lift them to you, that your spirit would move through them in a mighty way, God. And that you, God, even as you did with Daniel, would show them, Lord, the the areas in which you would have them minister. That they would have eyes for the hurting and the broken. That they would have words to share with them, God. And above all, that those who are gathered before them would see the heart of Jesus in everything they do. So, Lord, we ask your blessing, your touch, your protection, your guidance, your leading upon them as they go.
We put them in your hands. There's no better place to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So just like Daniel, Jonathan and his, his wife, is your kids going to or just you guys? Just them. They're going to a faraway place uh, and uh, we want to see God do great things. And as, as Daniel had this heart of prayer, this heart of saying, man, I just come in before you, God, in honesty, who I am, what I am, nothing special, or nothing special about Daniel. He's like every teenager ever before him. He made a decision, man, to just say, you know what, I'm going to make my life about the Lord. I could make my life about bitterness. I could make my life about a lot of other things because life hasn't gone my way. Right? Daniel ever get married? No. How come? He becomes a eunuch. Yeah, he didn't volunteer for that. Nobody said when he went into Babylon, hey, Daniel, how do you feel about this? No, they just did it. That's how it is if you're going to work in the palace, be around a king. So, but there's no bitterness. We don't see no bitterness in him. We don't see no complaining in Daniel. We don't see none of that. What do we see in Daniel? It's a man purposed after God's own heart who just cries out to God and says, Here I am, God, use me. What do you got for me? And as he's in the middle of his prayer, and I just don't want you to miss it because at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, he's praying all day. And he never got to amen because he says, In the midst of my prayer... Which means in the middle, right? Everybody okay? So in the middle of his prayer, the angel interrupts him. Stops him. Hey, Daniel. Hey. Wasn't, didn't really want to stop you from praying, but I got some stuff to tell you. And it seems like you're going to keep going if I don't. So, so Gabriel tells him, I got something to show you. And I got something you need to see. And so we have this incredible section. And... Uh, sir, probably a lot of people disagree with me. I don't think this is the most incredible. I think that's coming still. But this is up there in incredible prophecies. Incredible things that, that God revealed to Daniel. He said something to Daniel that reminds me of another guy he gave incredible vision to and, and foresight prophetically. The other guy was John. You remember the other guy? What did they call him? The disciple that Jesus loved, right? Kind of like beloved of God. What they called Daniel? Daniel, I just want you to know, you're beloved of God. And so God, you, both of these guys, their things tie together, man. You can't study one without the other. And so as we, as we take a look at it, then we want to we wanna see all that God has for us in this, in this section of prophecy. I hope that our eyes will be open to it. it, it let's, let's begin in verse 24. In verse 24... He says to him, 70 weeks are determined for your people, for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, I'm not making any promises. We get past that today. Okay, I got enough notes to go all the way to the end, but you don't have enough time. <laughs> Currently. But first thing I want us to do is we come to look at it. We want to say, what is the cause behind this prophecy? And there are three causes of this prophecy. Three causes. The first one in the first sentence is the sovereignty of God. 
What do I mean by the sovereignty of God? Look, guys, I believe that there are things that God absolutely decrees. Well, that, that long ago, we talked about Isaiah, I want to say Isaiah 45, verse 1, something like that, where Isaiah names Cyrus, the first king of the Persians, who's going to be the guy that is the first one to let the people go back into the land. And God says... Cyrus, who's not born yet, 150 years before he's born, this is the prophecy. Cyrus, he names him. Cyrus is my servant. And he's going to set my people go. He's going to let them go. The moment God spoke that, that was a decree of God. Look, Cyrus was not going to be named Fred. Or Ringo. Or something weird. When God said it, what was he going to be? Cyrus. The beginning of this prophecy says, 70 weeks are determined, decreed. God, this is in stone, man. This is not changing. When God decrees, that's what occurs. Now, I don't believe everything is decreed. But I guarantee there are some things that are. And when God says it, that's it. That's how it's going to be. So the first reason for this, the sovereignty of God. Seventy weeks are determined. They're going to happen exactly like they're stated. And if if there's some issue with them, it's on us. Right? You guys get that we are uh, fallen creatures with messed up minds? Does anybody else know that? See, you can use that every time you get in an argument with your husband or wife. You know, you're just a fallen creature with a messed up mind. (laughs) Right? Because... Is there some area of our life that sin doesn't affect? Is, it, is sin only affect our flesh, but not really the way we think? No, it, it affects everything, right? It affects it all. So if, if there's something we don't understand, that's, that's on our part. But, uh, but God wants us, to, I think, to delve in and understand it. So the first part, first of three reasons why this prophecy is given, God's in control. He's sovereign. He's the king. And these 70 weeks, the things that are going to occur in these 70 weeks will happen. The second reason for the prophecy are the sins of the people. Look at that phrase. He said, 70 weeks are determined. Who's it for? For your people and your holy city. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Who were the people of Daniel? We're Israel, right? And what's their holy city? Jerusalem. Look how smart you guys are getting, man. You're like prophetic whiz kids. You're putting it all together, right? So, so it doesn't say to the United States, does it? No, crazy. That'd be a little nutty, wouldn't it? Seventy weeks are determined for who? Israel. This is 70 weeks prophetic language that deals just with Israel. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. So this is dealing with the Jewish people. And there's three things when we talk about the sins of the people. Three, it involves three things. It applies to Israel... And there's three things. Look at the verse. It's going to tell us. To finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Those three things are dealing with the sin of the people of Israel. Now, is there there something beyond that? For sure there is. We're going to see as as we keep working our way through. But this is what it has to do with. To finish the transgression. This will happen in 70 weeks. To finish the transgression. I want you to understand that word. Transgression, the picture of that word is if I drew a line in the sand and said don't cross that line and you stepped over it. 
That's transgression. The Bible also talks to us about it in words like this. Rebellion. The rebellion is not eternal. The rebellion is not going to last forever. The rebellion of who? Who is the prophecy to? His people, the Jewish people. So their rebellion is not going to last forever. That's what the scripture is laying out for us. He's going to finish the rebellion. He's going to finish this rebellion of the Jews. Look, you guys got to begin to start to see things. That there was a, a time when Jesus came, when he is hardening the eyes, closing the eyes of his own people. You guys notice that when he was walking around on earth? When he's healing people and he says, don't tell anybody. Why do he say that? When he began to speak to him in parables, why is he doing that? He tells us. Why does he do it? So that hearing, they won't perceive. Seeing, they won't understand. And come to me and repent and be healed. So why is God hardening the hearts, hardening the eyes of the Jewish people? To accomplish redemption. Look, folks, if Jesus comes and the Jews all receive him, you and me are in some serious hot water. And God said, way back in the Old Testament, that he was going to bring the Gentiles. So what does he do? He blinds the eyes of the Jews. Didn't you ever wonder why? Jesus has hundreds of people following him. Everybody's in love with him. And all of a sudden, he's, he gives a teaching in John 6. Look, guys, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And he gives no explanation. And the people all scatter. Why? Because Jesus is saying, look, my purpose right now isn't to bring all these guys to salvation. My purpose right now is to the cross. See, the 70 weeks are determined to finish the transgression, the rebellion, the hardness, the blindness. It's all going to go away. Well, look what the Word of God tells us in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 12, here's what God says. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. The scripture goes on to say that they're going to grieve, how they're going to grieve alone, and their wives will grieve alone. And then it says in chapter 13 of Zechariah, verse 1, it says, In that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for what? Sin and uncleanness. There's going to be a fountain that opens up that's going to wash away the hardness, it's going to wipe away the blindness, it's going to take away the rebellion. Paul, see, Paul talks about the same thing in Romans 9, 10, and 11. In Romans chapter 9, he says his heart is constantly broken for his people. And he would that their eyes were open. But he talks about their blindness. And he talks about why they're blind. They're blind for the time of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11, he kind of builds this idea to its conclusion. He says in verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Next phrase, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So God's not finished with them. Verse 5, Romans eleven five. Even so then, at this present time there's a remnant according to the election of grace. 
Has there ever been a time where there wasn't believers within uh, national Israel? No. God says He's always had a remnant. Verse 11 and 12. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Are they, is it over? They've fallen, they're out, they're, it's all done for them? He says, certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Man, if there's this, this glory that's accomplished because of their blindness, Christ goes to the cross, dies, is raised again on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God comes down and provokes the heart of men, Jews and Gentiles. And now Jesus, uh, uh, different than how He did everything else, what does He say? He says, now all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, so do what? Go and do what? Tell everybody. Go tell them all. Because now it's time to take the gospel out. Because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. That the gospel is what changes our hearts. We sit around and try to become better people. It don't work. We're just a mess, man. What changes us is the word of God. Not that long ago. Well, it's been a while now. I'm getting, I forget how old I'm getting, huh? Just, I think I'm still a kid. But then I look at me running and it's horrible. How did I? How did that happen? Anyway, I know there are guys older than me that run and still look good. I run and I look like I should be in a wheelchair or something. I should not be doing that. Anyways, I remember Kathy. Kathy and I in the early part of our marriage was horrible. I was a, not a good person. So I'm, and I mean not a good person. And she was thinking about you know where we are today. And she's like, man, I'm so thankful that you're just not that person anymore. Look, I want to be the first one to tell you, I am exactly that person. I am that. I am rotten to the core. There's one thing that, that changes me, and that's Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus Christ in my life has caused me to reach places I never thought I would ever reach. It changes the way I think and the way I see things and the way I experience the whole world because I'm experiencing it all through Him, through Christ. It's all about being in Him. And so as long as I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has ordained that I would walk in them. But if I was to ever leave that, if I was to ever say, you know what, I'm, I'm walking away from the Lord, which... I'm not ever going to do. But if I did, I'm like 10 minutes from that rotten person. Because Jesus is the difference. You guys get what I'm saying? Jesus is the difference. And so, we want to recognize that it's Him. It's the gospel that changes us. Look at Romans 11, 25 to 27. It says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. So it's never good to be wise in your own mind. Right? You guys know you guys know people like that? Man, that guy thinks he is the smartest person on earth. And we're all walking around going, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> should not be wise in your own opinion. Here's why. Listen, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. 
And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant or my promise with them when I take away their sin. Man, God's going to do a work. He's going to do something just as he blinded their eyes. Not all of them. Obviously, there are still Jews today coming to Christ. But nationally, as a nation, he's going to take away the veil. But the veil's there for what? The Gentiles who come to Christ. For what purpose? To provoke them to jealousy. So that they see, man, look at how God's moving. Look at how God's working. I want to be a part of that. So that's, that's the, the goal. So when he says he's going to finish the transgression, the rebellion will be over. The hearts of the Jews are going to turn back to their Messiah. They're going to mourn for him as one mourns for their only son. That's going to be accomplished within the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's going to be accomplished. It's going to finish the transgression. Look at the second thing. Not only is he going to finish the transgression, it's going to make an end of sins. Now you notice, transgression, by the way, guys, was singular, and it had the word the, definite article before it. So it's a specific transgression. That's why I'm pointing it to the rebellion and the hardness of Israel. But now, the second one, to make an end of sins, is plural, no definite article, this is just sins. What's, what's God going to do secondarily in the people among the nation of Israel in the 70 weeks? <clears throat> He's going to take away the veil, remove the blindness, part two, He is going to make an end of sins. Make an end of sins. Now, there's two ways to look at this. And I think the best way to look at it may not be how you see it. I think he's going to make an end of sins because God's going to judge it. You ever read the book of Revelation? God's going to judge sin. He's going to make an end of sin by judging it. You know... Everybody says, you know, the other day I did something wrong and I didn't get struck by lightning. So I'm going to do it again tomorrow. But the Bible tells God's long-suffering, right? God's long-suffering, but there is payday someday. To make an end of sin, the end of the past. The end of these things God's just been overlooking until the time of what the Bible calls His wrath. When He pours out His wrath. Wrath upon sin. Look what it says in Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. It says, It shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it will be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested, and they shall call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people, and each one will say, The Lord, Yahweh, is my God. Says, man, I, the way Zechariah talks, that uh, two thirds of the nation of Israel is going to die in the fire of refinement that God's talking about in Zechariah. That He's going to put away their sin. He's going to put away. He's going to deal with all those things that He had not judged up until this time. Ezekiel chapter twenty, verse thirty-three says, "As I live," says the Lord God. Surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the people and gather you out from the countries where you were scattered, with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you to the wilderness of the peoples where I pled my case with you face to face, 
Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod. What is that talking about? It's judgment. I'll make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know I am the Lord. So I think God's talking about judgment here. Now, don't worry, we're coming to the third thing, which is the thing you're hoping for. So, the first one, to finish the transgression, the end of the rebellion of the nation of Israel. The second thing, to judge those sins. The sin of that rebellion. There's going to be a judgment that God brings. But the third one is to make reconciliation for iniquity. See, look, no matter when, any time that God judges, there is an opportunity for God's people to repent and live. The Bible fairly clear. Nobody calls on the name of the Lord in repentance and God doesn't answer. No one. Nobody. They, they call. In fact, one of the unique things we'll see as we stay in the book of Revelation in about a month-ish on Wednesday nights. We'll talk about all these horrible things happening during the tribulation period in chapter 6 through 19. All this wrath being poured out. But over and over again, you're going to hear the same phrase. They would not repent. They would not repent. They would not... You, you don't got to repent, man. You can, you can kick against the goads your whole life. Then all you can expect is judgment. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Man, we want to... We want to have that right relationship. Well, this is what that right relationship is all about. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Literally, to make atonement. Now, when did this happen? Now, Daniel, it's way before Christ, right? But when was atonement made? Well, Jesus went to the cross. What did He say at the cross? He said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And if I am lifted up, what will He do? I'll draw how many? All men to Myself. Oh man, so just like the, the, the bronze serpent in the wilderness. You guys remember the story? Everybody's getting bit by snakes and dying. Moses says, God's got to stop it. Lord, will you stop this? It's horrible. What's going on? So God said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, stand it up in the middle of the people, and everybody who looks at it will what? Be saved. And Jesus said, just like that. He's the picture of that. Because why? Because some people are caught up in their, in their sin and their bondage and all that junk, and they won't look at the pole if it's the last thing they have to do. You met people like that? Oh, yeah. I've had people on their deathbed, they're going to die any day, and ask them, can I pray for you? And have them say, no. Man. Alright, brother, don't stop me. I just won't do it out loud while I'm standing here. <laughs> you know, we go to, we're going to go to, to Israel in November. We're going to go up on the on the Temple Mount, right where the temple used to be, and this is what our guide's going to tell us. So maybe I shouldn't say this is bad. I'm saying church. Okay, so the guide's going to tell us. <coughs> the guide's going to tell us don't pray up there, and I'm going to tell us, look, when we pray up there, don't close your eyes, don't bow your head, because I'm not going to. The, I'm, I'm on the Temple Mount. 
where the temple used to be, and, and, and we're actually going to go to this little dome called the Dome of the Spirits. This had nothing to do with Daniel. And when we're going to go to the Dome of the Spirits, and we go there, I'm going to pray. Man, that's, a, that's the place I believe the Holy of Holies was centered. And we'll explain why those things are. And I know I should obey the governing authorities, but not when they tell me I can't pray. So, so we'll pray. We'll just have our eyes open, looking at each other and praying. So, <clears throat> there was a, a point to all that somewhere. But now you know, if you go to Israel, how we're going to do that. Okay, the atonement. Jesus Christ paid the price. So look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. How? What's the next three? Through Jesus Christ. Is there any other way to be reconciled to God? No. What way did he say? Through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. One way. And has given us, us, you and I, the ministry, the service... Of reconciliation. So how can we help people be reconciled to God? Same way. Through who? Jesus Christ. We're reconciled through Jesus Christ. <coughs> that is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. So, so Christ, when he dies on the cross, this is what I believe. Not everybody doesn't believe this, but it's what I believe. The blood of Jesus Christ is able to wash every man on the face of the earth of his sin. But it doesn't unless every man on the face of the earth receives that which Christ has freely given. And so it is efficacious to those who by faith put their trust in Jesus Christ. All right, by faith we come to Jesus Christ. He saves us. Now, what is it that Jesus bore at the cross? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. You don't want to be a part of of part two. If you're a Jew and you don't want to be a part of part two, which is God's judgment on sin, what do you got to do? Well, all you got to do is come to faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, the wrath of God has already been poured out on His Son. You're clean. You're clean. You've been reconciled to God. When that scripture that we read about two-thirds, what was the difference between two-thirds and one-third? It said two-thirds won't repent. What is it? How do we come to faith in Jesus Christ? There's one word that starts in the beginning. Jesus has commanded all men everywhere to do two things. What? Repent and believe. Repent. What's repent mean? I'm a mess. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. There's not that much good about me. In fact, the Bible says how much good? Oh, there's no good about me. So I come to God and say, Lord, you're right about what you say about me. I'm a sinner and I can't get anywhere without you. And then what do I do? I confess him as my Lord. Now, you're my Lord. You're my Lord. Now, I don't want you to lose sight of the things Jesus says. Jesus says in the last days, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say, who are you? I never knew you. Depart from me, you what? Workers of iniquity. What does that mean? That means they never came to the first part. What was the first part? Repentance. Look, repentance doesn't mean I somehow become sinless. That's not what he's talking about. Repentance means that I come to him a sinner. Just like the story Jesus told of two guys that came to him and prayed. You remember? One guy said, thank God that I'm not like that guy. The other guy beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me a sinner. 
And Jesus said, that man is justified. That's repentance. You get what I mean? That's repentance. The other one, that's, that's religiosity. You take that somewhere else. But repentance is what we need. When we come to Him in repentance, we don't become sinless. We just have a, a, an arborator. That's not the word. Moderator. I'll just go with that one. We have a moderator. One who can put his hand in our hand. What's that? Jesus. And he put his hand in God's hand. Because he's the God man. Puts his hand in mine. Puts his hand in God. Reconciles me to God. Man, we don't want to be in judgment. That's the way out of judgment. Otherwise, what? You pick it. Man, nobody made you do it. You didn't want it. But if you want it, it's there. Jesus said in Romans chapter 11, (coughs) through Paul, he says, All day long I reach out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And I, for one, am thankful. Because it wasn't the first time he reached out his hands to me that I took them. Wasn't the second or the third. Wasn't the first year or the second year or the third year. But he, he was patient enough with me in extending his hands to me until I took hold of his hands. I'm thankful for that. And so he does the same thing for the nation of Israel. He does the same thing for you and I. And this 70 week prophecy is going to be completed when it's all done. There's not going to be sin. Sin's done with. And at the cross, the price was paid. The price was paid (coughs) so that reconciliation could happen. How is it that God's going to reconcile iniquity? (coughs) Three scriptures. One, Isaiah 59.20 says, The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. So how's the Redeemer going to come? He's going to come to Zion. That's Israel. He's going to come to Israel. And who's He going to save? Those who turn from their transgression. Those who leave their rebellion. Those who repent. The Redeemer's always been God's way. God redeems everything. He redeems the mess of my life. I'm kind of thankful for that. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Does this all sound familiar? It ought to. Jesus said these words in Luke, somewhere about chapter 4, standing in a synagogue in Nazareth. He reads this to the people. He says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. That's not where the verse ends, right? You guys all see it? He closed the book and he looked at those people in that synagogue and he said, Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. I am Messiah. I'm here to set you free. And they tried to throw him off a cliff. They tried, that's okay. Why is that okay? Because Jesus came to redeem the world. He had to be crucified, guys. There's not so, some shortcut. That's a decree of God. That's a decree of God. But is that blindness permanent? No, it's temporary. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came down and the Word of God went forth, 3,000 souls turned to Jesus like that. A few days later, 5,000 more. Why? Because God's opening their eyes. How's He open their eyes? Through the Word of God. Faith comes by? And hearing the Word of God. So when the Word of God is... What's the Bible say? The Gospel is a power of God unto salvation? So the gospel goes out. Isaiah 55, Jesus said, when my word goes out, most of the time it accomplishes what it's supposed to. 
It says, my word always accomplishes what it's supposed to do. What's it supposed to do? Plant a seed of faith in someone's life. And now, man has the ability to either respond to that word, or reject the word. And all day long, God holds out His hands, but according to the 70th, the 70 week prophecy, it won't be forever, right? There will be a payday. There will be a judgment day. Reconciliation made through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, <coughs> describing Him, it says, Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he will grow up before him like a tender plant, like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. That means nobody's going to think he's especially handsome. He's not going to stick out in a crowd. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He don't got blue eyes. That's the verse. He got blue eyes. A blue-eyed dude in Israel would have stuck out like a sore thumb. You know that, right? says, he's despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him. We didn't want to look at him. He was hated and we did not value him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we're made whole. That is reconciliation. The Word of God lays out for us three things that were going to be accomplished that God was going to do about the sin of His people. Three things He was going to do. He's going to finish their rebellion. He's going to judge their sin. And He's going to reconcile their iniquity. So mankind can stand before Him. See, we ain't even got through the first verse. You guys thought, He's going to get three verses done. It's got to be easy, right? Okay, I'm just pausing for a moment to tell you you're going to be late for lunch. <clears throat> Not too late, relax. just want to finish the verse though. Is that okay? Alright, so we're going to do it. <clears throat> okay, the next thing. So we said the sovereignty of God is one of the reasons. The sin of the people, that's one of the reasons this prophecy is given. The third thing is the setting up of His kingdom. The setting up of His kingdom. And it also involves three things. What's the first one? Look what the verse says. To bring in everlasting righteousness. When is there going to be everlasting righteousness? <clears throat> when Jesus is king. When Jesus is king, there's going to be everlasting righteousness. Look what the word of God says. Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name, which he will be called. Yahweh Tiskanu. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. And God's going to... Bring in everlasting righteousness. What's the second part? Second thing in setting up his kingdom. He's going to seal up vision and prophecy. He's going to seal up vision and prophecy. What that means? He's going to complete it all. <clears throat> but it also means a little bit more than that. It means he, I believe, it means he has completed it all. What do you mean, Jackie? Well, look. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Let's think about this. When, when, if... Prophecy, uh, vision and prophecy has been completed. The revelation of God to man. Acts 2.16 says, 
By, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So Peter, on the day of Pentecost, describes the day, the time period that we're in now. What did he call it? The last days. He says, this is what was spoken of by Joel, the prophet. This is the last days. The spirit of God is here. The gospel is going forth. And we're awaiting the king. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, (coughs) who being in the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He by Himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. When did that happen? So the Gospels take us up, right, to the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews chapter 1 says, He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, who has paid the price for sin, right? Died, rose again, and is where? Seated at the right hand of the Father. So the final word that God has to say through His Son, is post-gospel. So it's not in the Gospels. So what's the final thing God has to say through His Son to the people? Is there ever a place in the Bible where God says, you know what, this is it. There's no more. Don't add. Don't take away. You ever heard that before? Where's that at? Revelation, which is called the revelation of who? Jesus Christ, or the final words. Of Jesus Christ. God says. This is it. I'm sealing it up. I don't have a new vision for you. I don't have a new prophecy for you. I've given you what there is in my son. Now go. Take that message. In Revelation 22.18 it says. I testify to everyone who hears the words. Of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds these things. God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So it sounds like God's saying, that's it, I don't have nothing else to say. You with me? So Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, God in the past spoke through the prophets. God in the past spoke through these other men. But he said his last word through who? His son, Jesus Christ. There's no new revelation, folks. We got what we need. It's in a word. We don't need a new revelation, a new thing brought out somewhere else. What we need is to spend time pouring the revelation God's given us in. (coughs) To see, to learn, to understand. So he said, the second thing that's going to happen at the kingdom, he's going to seal up vision and prophecy. It's going to be over. (coughs) It's going to be over. I think in a way it's over now. I'm not going to say God doesn't speak to people, that God doesn't lay things on your heart, but He doesn't give more revelation. There's not a Revelation chapter 23 coming. There's not another book coming. Canons close. God has spoken. God has spoken. The last thing that's going to happen through the kingdom is to anoint the most holy. You guys see that? To anoint the most holy. Now, as we look at it, I just want you... Hold on to that, because the most holy is not a person. It's a place. It's a place. So let's look at it. Let's back up, and we're going to take a look. Seventy weeks are determined for your people, the Jew. 
for your holy city, Jerusalem, to accomplish what? To deal with their sin. How? To finish the transgression, the rebellion. To make an end of sin, judgment that would come. To make reconciliation for iniquity, the price Jesus Christ paid on the cross. To bring in everlasting righteousness, that ushers in Messiah's reign. To seal up vision, ending and fulfilling all of history. It will be over. And to anoint the most holy. Now, he's talking about the most holy place, the temple. Stay with me. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks, 62 weeks, and the street will be built again, even the wall in troublesome times. Hold on to that. That'll be next time. And after 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So there's going to be a destroyed temple. He's talking about 70 A.D. So when Daniel reads this, what's, where's the temple? It's in, it's in a rubble right now. It's in rubble. It's torn down. So what does Daniel know? In that first verse of the 70-week prophecy, he knows there's going to be another temple built. Scripture talks about multiple temples. We know Solomon's temple, <coughs> Herod's temple, Right? Herod's temple was finished in 64, destroyed in 70 A.D. Here in Daniel, it's talking about the destruction of the temple by the people of the prince who is to come. Who destroyed the temple? Rome. We know, right? History tells us Titus Vespasian went in and destroyed the temple. The temple is going to be wiped out by him. But the last thing that we're looking at in this verse, it talks about the setting up of the kingdom, says God's going to anoint the most holy place. What does that mean? In order for God to anoint the most holy place, there's got to be another temple. There's got to be another temple. According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in order for the Antichrist to be recognized and the abomination of desolation to occur, what has to happen? It's got to be another temple. The Antichrist has got to stand in the Holy of Holies and proclaim himself to be God. That's what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. That didn't happen in history. So there's got to be another temple. So when we look at these, the first part, okay, here's what's got to happen in the (coughs) 70 weeks of Daniel. And we'll describe what that's all about in a minute. But I just want us to get the, 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 the understanding of all the things that will be accomplished in 70 weeks. The end of sin, the finishing of the transgression, reconciliation for iniquity. We see that at the cross, the judgment of God. And when the rebellion of Israel will be over. And then the bringing in of the kingdom, which will usher in everlasting righteousness. That's when Jesus reigns. The end of vision and prophecy at the close of the canon of the word of God. And certainly at the time when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. And thirdly, the anointing of a new temple. These 70 weeks, those things have to be accomplished in it. So as we go from here to look at how that prophecy lays out. Don't lose sight of what he said in the beginning of what's got to happen. What has to happen during those 70 weeks. That's how we'll know if the 70 weeks are over. Or they're not. Or is there still more to come. But you're going to have to come back. Because I don't have enough time to do all that. Is that fair? Why don't you guys stay with me. Let's pray. Man, here's what we know about prophecy, guys. God's got a plan. God has a purpose.
God's bringing everything to completion. That if God has started, He will finish. Amen? Amen. Father God, as we come before You, Lord, we just are reminded of the truth of Your Word, God, that (coughs) we find ourselves here sometimes wondering what in the world is going on. But You've told us, God, You've told us the end from the beginning in Your Word. We have illustrations, hints, prophetic word that tells us what events are coming, what things have to happen, Lord. They're all laid out for us um, prayerfully in a way that we can understand, Lord. We just pray, God, that you help us to hold on, Lord, to to what you're telling us. That there's a lot of things that are going to be done. The eyes of the Jews will be open. The judgment for sin will come. But Jesus Christ has paid the price. There can be reconciliation now through faith in Jesus Christ. No one has to pay the price for their sin. No one has to have that judgment for sin. All they have to do is receive by faith that free gift offered. As all day long, God stretches out His hands to a disobedient people. But if we'll take hold of His hand, He will save. Yes, thank you, Lord. God, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful that there is a coming kingdom. And it's not run by either of the ones running for president right now, God. It'll be run by you. You are the king. King of kings, Lord of lords. God, we look forward to everlasting righteousness, God. When there's not going to be sin running rampant like it is now. Lord, we're just so thankful, God. Your word tells us these things are coming. The end of prophetic and, and the end of vision, why? Because we won't need it. How come? We'll have Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> we don't need anything else. We have you. And there will be an anointing of the Holy of Holies, the temple, the house of God, the place where men will come to bow down and worship God. You're going to accomplish all of these things. In the same way you accomplished everything else that you ever said you were going to do. So Lord, we know there is a day coming. And Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see it. <clears throat> that would carry us through from now till then. That we would know you are sovereign. You have a plan. And all of history is moving toward that conclusion. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>